invite you to join me now in taking your copy of God's Word and turning with me to our passage for this morning, which is 1 Timothy 1.15. Towards the end of the New Testament there, 1 Timothy 1.15. As we've already noted, today marks the beginning of the Advent season. And the Advent season is meant to be a season of preparation, a time where we are to prepare our minds and hearts for the celebration of Christmas, that first coming of Jesus Christ. It's in a tradition of our church that we observe that, and part of that tradition is we try to have a sermon series every year that goes along with the Advent season. And sometimes we just come back to the basic message to be reminded of that old-fashioned truth of Christmas. Sometimes we try to come at it from a little different angle to maybe challenge us on some things. So this morning, we're going to begin our sermon series for Advent, where in this season we're going to focus on answering the question of why Christmas? So why Christmas? I believe if I were to have a conversation with you one-on-one and ask you, well, why Christmas? I believe all of you would have a good answer for it. So it's my hope and prayer that in this, in this series that we will take those good answers and begin to delve into them a little bit more, maybe dig a little bit deeper to, to bring out some other parts and pieces of it, but maybe also introduce some we haven't thought of yet. Christmas is a wonderful truth. It's also a big truth. We can never exhaust the grace and the truth of it. And so we will spend a season asking the question of why Christmas. So we begin that this morning by looking at our passage we find in 1 Timothy 1.15. Let me pray for us. Let's come together before God's word in prayer. Lord, we come to you in a very familiar season for many of us. And it is Advent. And for many of us, we love this season. It's a wonderful season. The, the core of what makes it so wonderful is that it's about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's easy for us to get wrapped up in other things, get distracted by many other things. But the core of this is a very simple truth that Jesus Christ was born to save sinners. And so as we think about that truth this morning, we pray that you would guide us and bless us in our discussion of this, Lord. And may we meet with you in your word and in meeting with you, may we be made better not just for other people to see, but for your glory. May we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Timothy 1.15. And let's stand together now for the reading of God's word. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. may be seated. This past week I was walking through a bookstore and came across this little uh, section of Christmas books and found this book written by William Bennett. Some of you may remember that name. He was the Secretary of Education underneath President Ronald Reagan. He also wrote the best-selling book, The Book of Virtues, A Treasury of Great Moral Stories. Well, the book I found by him was one he written recently, and it's called The True St. Nicholas and Why He Matters to Christmas. I actually finished, it, finished reading it last night. It's a little short book, but it's a fascinating read because he Bennett takes the very little bit we know about St. Nicholas, who was 
very real, very much a, a saint in the church, okay, a saint, a saint being made a saint in the church. And he takes a little bit we know about that, and he talks about his Christian life and example, but also how from his life and example we get Saint Nick, Santa Claus. If you're to take the genealogy of Santa Claus, this is one straight trunk down to Saint Nicholas. And he tells some fascinating stories in it. For example, Saint Nicholas was from a wealthy family. And he was serving the church back in his hometown. And he heard he got word that a young widow and her children didn't have enough money to pay rent, and so they were getting ready to be evicted from their house. So late one night after everybody went to bed, Nicholas got together some bundles of coins, wrapped them up, and went to the widow's house. And her windows were open. So he took the bundles of coins and he dropped them through the window. He dropped them into their stockings, into their socks. They were so poor, they each only had one pair of socks. So at the end of each day, the widow would take their socks and wash them and scrub them and then hang them up next to the window to, to dry out so they'd be ready to wear the next day. And Nicholas dropped a bundle of coins into the stockings. And that's where we get the tradition of hanging stockings by the fireplace filled with goodies that we get on Christmas morning. And he tells this stories and others from St. Nicholas' life that we see in the story and myth of Santa Claus. There's something else interesting I think that we see that comes from the story and myth of Santa Claus revolves around the question of why Christmas? We were just to take all the, the songs and the books and the cartoons and movies that we know of Santa Claus and we were to ask the question just of that canon, why Christmas? The answer would be, it's only for good people. Think about what we sing every year. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. This is where Boosie plays it. Oh, she went away from the wall. Because Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping, and he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake, because Santa Claus is coming to town. According to that song and other things we know, the answer to why Christmas, according to that, is it's all for the good children. In order to have Christmas, you have to be good. Because if you aren't good, traditionally, what do you get on Christmas morning? A lump of coal, which is a bad thing, right? That also comes from the life and story of St. Nicholas, but it was a good thing. When St. Nicholas would find out that there were poor people in town who couldn't afford charcoal to warm up their house, he would come by their houses at night and leave on their, their steps a little pile of coals so they could warm up their house for the time being. But according to the story and the mythology of Santa, Christmas is just for the good people. The bad children, the bad people, we don't get Christmas. It's only for good people. So be good, for goodness sake, because Santa knows if you've been good or bad, 
and your behavior will determine whether or not he will stop at your house on Christmas Eve. And my parents wielded that so well growing up. Every child is so well behaved around Christmas. But we come to passages such as our one this morning, 1 Timothy 1.15, and we see that according to the Bible, Christmas isn't for good people. Christmas is for bad people. It's for sinners. So why Christmas? It's for sinners. It's for bad people. It's for us. So to help us dig deeper into the meaning of Christmas, we start with this truth that Christmas is for sinners. It's not just for all the good little boys and girls. It's for sinners. And that's good news for us because we are all sinners. The Bible says very clearly, no one is good except God alone. And it's looking at our spiritual condition. Because our spiritual condition is that we are sinners. But the good news according to the Bible, according to Paul here, is that, that, that it means that Christmas is for us and that we need Christmas. We need the truth of the Christmas story. This morning we, we had the privilege of participating in Kate becoming a communicant member of this church. And the first question we asked her and she answered for us was very simple. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God? And do you justly deserve his displeasure and are without hope except for, through his sovereign mercy? And we heard how she answered and she answered it rightly. But I ask you, how would you answer that question? And not answering it just as a membership form, as trying to get to the membership of the church, but do you actually believe that about yourself? If you had to stand in front of this congregation and stand in front of God, how could you honestly answer the question, do you know, not just acknowledge, but that, that, that deep knowledge, do you know, do you believe, are you convinced that you are a sinner in the sight of God? Because from that will determine your Christmas. It's easy for us to look at others and go, well, they're sinners, right? It's easy for us to gossip about others and go, look how bad they are. But how often do we look at ourselves and go, I'm horrible. I'm a sinner. In the communicants class, we refer to this question as our problem. We can think of Apollo 13. Blasted off from Cape Canaveral. And they're out in space. And all of a sudden, their master console begins to light up with all these alarm buttons. Something has gone terribly wrong. And you remember the famous words, Jim Lovell, radio back to Houston. Houston, we have a problem. And that was really kind of an understatement, wasn't it? Well, Christian, we have a problem. And that problem is sin. That, Paul tells us that in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Think again what he says, that, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In our postmodern days, we don't like absolute teaching. We, we want truth to be true for us. We want us to define truth. We don't want anybody else to define truth for us. That's being mean. That's a bully. So in postmodernism, we get to define our truth. But this is a very absolute way of saying something, isn't it? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Slipping through TikTok here recently and came across a, a liberal theologian. 
the whole, her, her whole little thing on, on TikTok was about how big of a jerk Paul is. Because Paul is so absolute. How dare Paul say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul's not saying, you know, some of you, you know, those outside of Bethel ARP, those over there across the street, you know, you know it's, it's all of them. He says, everyone is a sinner. All have sinned. And you know who that includes? Every one of us here this morning. All y'all have sinned. I have sinned. It's the teaching of scripture. Now, this isn't something new to Paul. This is the teaching of scripture. We think of, of David after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about uh, his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah. And he goes to pray. He prays in Psalm 51. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David. The man after God's own heart says, I've been sinful since birth. Like, David ups it a notch, doesn't he? Paul just says, oh, y'all have sinned. David says, think about those cute little cuddly babies. Sinners. All those cute little baby clothes you're buying, you're buying them for sinners. Little sinners. Surely we have been sinners since birth. We sin because we are sinners. We sin because we are born sinners. We sin because sin is very much a part of our spiritual DNA from birth. So when we think about why Christmas, why all this, why the poinsettias, why the Christmas tree, why the Advent wreath, why all the green, why Christmas? Because we're sinners. We have a problem and it's sin. We also know in our economy of life, there are problems and then there are problems. There are problems in lowercase letters, and then there are problems in all uppercase letters. It's, it's one thing to burn the turkey on Thanksgiving. It's another thing to have incurable cancer. It's one thing to wake up one morning and you have a flat tire. It's another thing to wake up one morning and realize that your, your accountant, your financial advisor has swindled away all your retirement money. There are problems, but then there are problems. And so when we talk about sin as a problem, how do we think of it? Is it sin kind of in quotation marks, lowercase, or is it a big problem? Is sin something we, we sit around with God about and we kind of chuckle and God kind of nudges us and oh, you're so naughty. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Go out and have a good time. Or is it something bigger and far deadlier than we could ever imagine? Thankfully, Scripture doesn't leave us without an answer to that. Romans 6.23 tells us, for wages of sin is death. So is sin a problem? Or is sin a problem? According to the Bible, the price for your sin is death. To me, that's a pretty big problem, isn't it? We're not talking about a a firing squad or, or an electric chair. What the Bible means is death. It's talking about hell. It's talking about Spiritual death. It's talking about that spiritual death that reaches all the way back to the garden. We find Adam and Eve standing there and they're holding the fruit and their hands and their lips are still stained with the juices of the forbidden fruit. 
And then God explains to him, because you are the federal head, Adam, because you're the representative of all mankind, of all humanity, because you sin, now your sinful nature will be passed down to all posterity. Thanks, Adam. Eating that fruit, hope it was delicious. Because now we are all sinners. And that sin, that problem, has only one thing it deserves, and that is hell. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is hell. And however we want to define hell, it really only comes down to two ways. Either it's, a, it's, a, it's for eternity where, where God turns his back on us and there's no more grace for us and we're left to all the whims of Lucifer and his demons. Or it's where God pours out his wrath on those who have chosen to rebel against him. Either way, it's, it's horrible beyond description or imagination. Yet that is our problem. We are sinners Every one of us, and because of this, we all deserve hell. And that's problem in all capital letters, big of a font, we can type it on our computer and still be able to read it. But what I've, I've found over the years, this is, this is where we can kind of get to the point where people pause and go, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second, wait a second. I, I'm not that bad. I'm, 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 I'm just not that bad. I'm not like the people you, you see on TV. I'm not the guy who drives his, his, his car through a Christmas parade. I don't go into the mall and shoot up people. I don't sell drugs to children. I'm, I'm, I'm faithfully married. I'm, I try to raise my children the right way and bring them to church. I'm, I'm a good person. And people know I'm a good citizen. You can count on me. I'll do whatever I can for you. I'm not that bad. I'm not the kind of person who deserves help. Yes, I may have my little sins here and there, but those are really kind of more little slaps on the wrist, right? Getting drunk here and there, that's not like killing a bunch of people. Cussing here and there, that's not like selling drugs to children. It's just a little slap here and there. I'm not as bad as others. You know what? You're probably right. Look around here, I think we're all probably pretty good, decent people. I don't think any of you are selling drugs to children. Thank you for not doing that. I don't think any of you are going to be driving your cars to the Winsboro Christmas Parade this afternoon. And in advance of that, thank you for not doing that either. But when we compare ourselves to other people, we, we don't seem to be that bad, do we? At oranges to oranges, we're, we're not that bad. Let's look again and hear what, what Paul says, especially here at the end. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That's interesting. Who does Paul say is the foremost, the chief of sinners? Pilate? Judas? The Pharisees? Who's he saying? I am. I am the chief of sinners. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul who's saying he is one of the greatest sinners that you have ever met. He's the Muhammad Ali of sinners. He's one of the greatest sinners you'll ever meet. But surely that has to be Paul referring to his pre-Christian years, right? To his Saul years when he was a persecutor of the church, when he was going out to jail Christians simply for being Christians and knowing even some of them would be sent to their deaths. That has to be the period he's talking about, right? Because when Paul writes this, he's a changed man. He's a Christian. He's a good person. 
he's like one of us. So he's Paul. He's, he's an evangelist. And he's, gone out, he's planted churches and he's shown the truth and grace of Jesus Christ to all that he can. That Paul can't be the foremost of sinners. He's a good person. Matter of fact, if we were to know Paul during his Christian years, we would say, hey, he's a pretty intense guy, but he's a good guy. He loves Jesus. And he loves for other people to know about Jesus. So when, when Paul says here, I'm the chief of sinners, surely he's mean, mean like 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, right? Well, here's the problem. And the problem is the Greek. And the verbs in this verse are in the present active indicative, which is the first declension I memorized in Greek. Luo, luos, luē, luomen, luetu, luusi. Are y'all impressed? Thank you. Very, should be. 20 years ago, I can still remember that. Don't remember any other declension from Greek, but I remember that one. Present active indicative in verb form means it's true for right now. That when it was written, the action was in the present. So when Paul wrote, I am the chief of sinners, I am the foremost of sinners, I am the first and greatest of sinners, he meant it was true even at that time. As he put quill to papyrus and wrote to Timothy, he said, Timothy, you know me, and I'm the greatest sinner you'll ever meet. This is the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary the church has ever known, the greatest evangelist the church has ever known, who wrote a good portion of the New Testament. That one is saying, I and the chief of sinners. But he also wrote this towards the end of his life. We find in Tim- 1 Second Timothy, Paul has become somewhat reflective. Which means as Paul's looked back over his life, he's come to this one singular conclusion. I am a great sinner. I am the worst sinner I have ever met. This is coming from the guy who people try to kill. And he says, I am the greatest sinner I've ever known. So, let's compare our goodness to Paul's. You don't have to raise your hands, but let's think about it. How many of us in here have ever planted at least one church? How many of us have ever evangelized to, say, a handful of people? How many of us have have preached the gospel to to countless people? In this contest of comparison, when we compare ourselves to Paul, we're going to lose every time. So which means that the Apostle Paul can say this about himself, and we should be able to say the same about ourselves as well. We should be able to go to a sinner's anonymous meeting and be able to stand up and say, I am James McManus, and I am the chief of sinners. And each one of us should be able to go around and say the same thing. There's nothing really more freeing to be able to say, I'm a really bad person. In our small town, southern veneer, that's almost like saying you worship the devil, isn't it? Because you've got to look good. Veneer, all important. But the gospel says, I am just a really bad person. Because we sin. We sin boldly. 
We sin in our thoughts of other people. We sin in our gossip of other people. We sin in how we talk to other people. We go through Ten Commandments and it doesn't take us long to realize that we are sinners. So we have a problem. That's a big problem. That is we are great sinners and we deserve hell. But that's the why of Christmas. See, it's good news for us to know that we are great sinners that deserve hell because that means Christmas is for you. Think back again to what, what Paul says here. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So Paul is saying, give this thing a big bear hug. Embrace this. Make this your own. If you're to have a life verse, this is your life verse. Life model, this is your life model. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That, created, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Another way of, of, of saying this, to kind of fit what we're saying this morning, is the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christmas is for sinners, and I am the chief of sinners. That's the why of Christmas. That's the why for all this. Because we have a problem, and God has given us a solution. We have a problem that we are great sinners and we deserve nothing but hell, but he has given us the solution in Jesus Christ. The Christmas story is the answer to our problem. In Jesus' first coming, he implemented a rescue plan that had been conceived in the mind of the triumph God before the foundation world, and that plan was he is to come and to save sinners. And, and, and all of the Bible begins to explain that to us, begins to point us to that, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, to save them from sin. We see that in the Old Testament in the sacrificial system, that morning and evening Priests placed burnt offerings for sin on the altar, the fire of which was never to go out. But this was never meant to be the lasting solution. Why the writer of Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The, the sacrifice was merely a prelude, a pointing to, a shadow, a copy of what was to come. It was meant to point us to a better solution and to a better way. And that better solution, better way, is what we find in Christmas. Jesus Christ is the better way. He is the better solution. And that is what the, that is what the angel said to Joseph in his dream when he, he said to Joseph, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Again, we get that absolute definitive, uh, absolute definitive of, of Scripture, don't we? Jesus will save his people from their sins. Not hopefully, not maybe. Not, all right, guys, keep your fingers crossed and wear your lucky shirt and your working, lucky hat. Maybe Jesus can get it done. No, it's very simply and definitively, he will save his people from their sins. It is an absolute, 100% guaranteed promise. The best Black Friday deal you'll ever find. Great sinners need a great Savior, and that great Savior is Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And that's the wonder of the Christmas story. From the very beginning, it teaches that we have a great problem of sin that deserves hell. We are great sinners, and that solution is not in ourselves. And it's not how much we can work. It's not how much we can give. It's in the very person of the second person of the triumph Godhead, Jesus Christ, who came to save his people from their sins. The minister was called to the house of a member. And the man was dying, so he goes and sits next 
to the man and began to talk and the man begins to recount all of his past sins. And he gets near the end, he begins to cry. He says, Pastor, I am a terrible, hell-worthy sinner. The minister took his hand and he said, Yes, you are. And that's wonderful. And seeing that the man was confused, the pastor goes on to say, You are a terrible, hell-worthy sinner, but it is wonderful that you know it, for Christ came to earth for people exactly like you. That's the why of Christmas, isn't it? You and I are terrible, hell-worthy sinners. And it's wonderful for us to know that because then we can know that Jesus came to save people just like us. That first Christmas was for him to come save sinners like us. We have a problem. And the solution is always Jesus. So why Christmas? Because you are a great sinner. And you have a great Savior in Jesus Christ. So this Advent season, as you prepare for Christmas by decorating your home and tree, as you go out and buy presents, as you visit family and friends, as you cook all sorts of good treats, it would be good for you also to remember and prepare by embracing this truth. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief, the foremost, and the worst of. Pray with me.